Well, good morning. Good morning. Guess what I'm going to start off doing this morning? I am going to pray for President Trump. I'm going to do that. But before I do, I want to... um, And can you make sure and get this on the CD? Because I want to make sure that people hear this. I'm going to be vulnerable with you for a second. And I'm going to need your grace. Okay? I teach at our church 360 grace. That means the leaders need to be gracious towards the people uh, underneath them. Peers need to be gracious towards peers. And the, the sheep, the people need to be gracious towards their leaders. And Oh man, I need your grace. And I'm going to need it right now. Eight years ago, when I began to pray for the president, the Bible says I'm required to pray. It was very difficult in a prayer for me to say the words, President Obama. And the reason was, I was really angry at him. I was angry. I was angry because he was signing executive orders, presidential laws, which took away protection to the unborn, life in the womb. And that made me angry. It made me angry that later on he, he, he started signing executive orders, presidential laws that were tampering with the definition of marriage. Now, as a, someone who's, who, 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 who every day I'm in this word, every day, for years, for 20, 25 years, I, I'm, I'm totally into the word. And if there's one thing I've learned, you do not tamper with what the Bible says about life, and you do not tamper with what the Bible says about marriage. We may, may not like it. It may go against who we, we feel like we, we are and, and our feelings, but you don't tamper with it. And so it was hard for me In a prayer, to say those two words, dear God, I pray for President Obama. I was mad. (laughs) But if it was difficult for me to put together the words President Obama, it's even more difficult for me to put two words together, President Trump. Really difficult. Because, you know, I don't know what the man's heart is, but it just appears to me he has a pattern of stirring up fear, stirring up animosity, stirring up even hatred in one group of people towards another. And most troublesome to me, as a student of the Bible, it seems to me that he's stirring up 
the animosity, the fear against one group, against the most vulnerable people in our society. And that's a big no-no in the Bible. Big, big no-no. However, I'm left with Romans chapter 13. And this is what Romans chapter 13 says in verse 1. And I'm not given an option, whether it's a Democratic president or a Republican president, I need to obey it. It says this, verse 1, Romans chapter 13, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, Whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. But do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister for good, but if you do evil, be afraid for He does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger uh, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. And we're commanded to pray for him or her. I'm left with that. And you know who was in power when that was written? Someone shout it out, because I know some of you know. Nero. Nero didn't just stir up hatred. He killed people. He killed Christians. He killed people for having Bible studies. He killed them. He wrapped their body in wax and, put it in, 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 and wrapped Christians in wax and, and lit them as candles around the city of Rome. And yet, we're told... In the Bible, we need to pray. So we need to pray. And most importantly, we need to make sure our hearts are not rooted into political solutions for the world. Are we supposed to be a part of the political process? Absolutely. If we're going to be salt, Jesus says you can be salt of the world. Don't keep quiet. But we can't have our hearts rooted in that solution because there's one solution the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Let's begin by praying. Father, I, just, I pray for President Trump, Lord. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that, uh, Lord, in the midst of everything, that he would be a man, uh, that you would, you would open up his eyes to fairness and justice and love and peace, Lord. We know that being the President of the United States, Lord, we believe it's the hardest job in the world. And we recognize that. We pray that you would give him wisdom for that. We, would pray, we pray, Father, that um, um, he would become a man who brings people together rather than tears them apart, Lord. I pray that he would give him a fear of you. Lord, a healthy fear of you. Not scared of you, fear of you. I pray, Father, that you would surround him with godly men and women. And, men, and, and 
And Lord, at, at least men and women who, Lord, are willing to give him counsel that is right, that is fair, that is just. I pray for that, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would protect him. Lord, we thank you that we're given a leader in our country, leaders who are bound by laws. And Lord, we recognize this as we read in Romans chapter 13, they're given for our good. Without leaders, there's anarchy, Lord. And just so we, so we, we, we pray for that. Lord, and we lift up our country. And Father, we, we ask for revival in it. We ask that, Lord, you would open up the eyes of the blind, that they would recognize, that we all would recognize, we need Jesus Christ. We need to come alive, this country, in the Spirit of God. Awaken, Lord, your church in this country. Awaken your church from just being dormant and comfortable and, and rich in prosperity, Lord. Awaken. And Lord, turn, turn their eyes, turn our eyes to you, Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please rise for the reading of God's Word. We're in John chapter 3. We're going through John chapter by chapter verse by verse. We are going through John chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And let's start in um, John chapter 3, verses 16. Verse 16. The all-familiar verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does, does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Dear Father, we pray by the Holy Spirit you would do a rich work, a deep cleansing work, a work of glory in our hearts, Lord, through this word. Please, Lord, don't let me be a hindrance, Lord. Please use me in spite of me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. 
So here in John chapter 3, you have a man by the name of Nicodemus. He's having a face-to-face encounter with the Son of God. Now in verse 2, it says Nicodemus approached Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God. Well, Nicodemus may not have realized it, but Nicodemus didn't need another teacher. That's not really what Jesus was. Um, He really wasn't that. He he, He was the living God made flesh who dwelt among us. The world didn't need just another teacher. More on that later. The the Lord needed the presence of the living God, and and what Nicodemus needed was the Son of God. What he needed was the the living, breathing Son of God, and that is what he got at the beginning of this chapter, John chapter 3, when he went to Jesus by night. He got a one-on-one, face-to-face encounter with the living God. And, 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 and same thing is happening with you this morning. At John chapter 1, verse 1, I said it last week, say it again. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. When we open up the Word, we're, we were having a face-to-face just like Nicodemus. So here in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Why? He comes to Jesus um, because he's thirsting for the kingdom of God. He's thirsting for the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells him in in, in verse 3, he says, Nicodemus, most assuredly I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, as it relates to the kingdom of God, You are dead. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Another translation of born again is born from above. Some translations say that. Born from above. Unless you're born from above, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are given a new life from above, you cannot, will not, will never see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus' response was what? So I have to go back into my mother's womb? How's a man supposed to be born again? How can a man be born from above? Jesus explains in verse 16. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How can a man be born again? How can a man be born from above? By believing in Jesus. By believing in Jesus. Remember, this book, the book of John. The writer of this book, John, mentions the word believe 60 times. It is a big time theme in this book. In the book of Matthew and Luke, the word believe only used, well, used less than 10 times, actually. The book of Mark, it's used 13 times. And, and, and so John, the writer of the, this book, he's coming in 40 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written. And, and it's as if he's saying, okay, reader, you have the book 
the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You have the record of Jesus' life. Now I beg you, you've turned it into a religion. Believe. Believe. They're not just dormant facts, dead facts. Believe in what you've been told. So as Jesus says to Nicodemus, believe. He's saying to Nicodemus, believe in me. You do that and you'll have a second birth. Believe in me and you'll be born again. Believe in me and you will be born from above. Now, how's that happen? How's that happen? I believe. Also, I'm born from above. I'm born again. Like, what, what went on? What goes on when that happens? How does believing in Jesus make me born again? Well, it's what we call the simple gospel. Because Jesus died on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sin, which was death. He paid the penalty for your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. After he died, he was buried. But after he was buried, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, appeared not to a few, but to hundreds of people. And then he was taken up into heaven. And now, you believe him by receiving him into your life. You receive him and he enters into your life by the Holy Spirit. And we keep putting this verse up. I will continue to be putting it up. So important. As many as received him, John 1.12, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to become born again, to those who believe in his name. So receiving, believing, it's the same thing. It's not just believing facts about Jesus. The Bible says demons believe facts about Jesus. They know facts about Jesus that we don't even know. It's receiving. It's believing in the sense you're receiving what the Bible says of him, who, he sa- who the Bible says he is. We're receiving Jesus. The Bible says this next verse, and this is an important one, just as a foundation for where we're going this morning. In Him, Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men, John 1, 4. So when Jesus is telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, if you're thirsting after the kingdom of God, you need a new life. The new life that Nicodemus had to have was Jesus himself. John chapter 1 verse 4, in Jesus was life. Nicodemus needed the life of Christ inside of him. So again, John 3.16, we know it well. Whoever believes in him, including you Nicodemus, will not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17. 1 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So verse 17 says, Jesus says, I didn't come in the world to condemn it. I came to save it. Jesus didn't go from city to city. He said, I, I condemn you, city. Next city. I condemn you. Next, next city. I condemn you. He didn't do that. He went from city to city saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm here to save you. Now, there were some cities that he left where after he says, he told them, you remain in your condemnation because you rejected me. But his message as he went from city to city to city was not condemn, condemn, condemn. It was love, love, love. Save, save, save. I didn't come, verse 17, into the world to condemn it. I came to save it. Jesus went from city to city. It says that great multitudes came to him with the blind and deaf and and and. and and the lame and diseased and, and those tormented by unclean spirits. And it says that Jesus, Matthew 12, 15 and Luke 6, 19, healed them all. Uses those three words. Healed them all. That's not condemnation. That's not a ministry of condemnation. And, 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 then, and, and then he said, what did he say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you salvation. That, that's not a man coming to condemn. That's a man coming to save. And that's verse 17. You know, verse 17, for most of us, it's, it's smooth sailing. We like this verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Now, verse 18, for many of us, ooh, man, sailing gets choppy. Not choppy, big waves, large waves. Difficult to sail through, but so important that we understand. Verse 18 says this, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. So again, we read in verse 17, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world because he came to save. But here we read another reason Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn the world, number one, because he came to save. But number two, because they were condemned already. How can you come to condemn when the world is condemned already? Now that's, a, that's, that's really heavy. Well, the world is condemned already? That's exactly what he's saying and what the Bible teaches.
in Genesis chapter 2. You don't have to go there with me. Genesis chapter 2, very beginning of the Bible, the Lord commanded Adam, saying, this is verse 16 of Genesis chapter 2, the Lord commanded Adam, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So what happens in Genesis chapter 3? The serpent comes to Eve. Knew the same command. The serpent said, go ahead, eat it. She said, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because God said that in the day that we eat it, we'll die. He goes, oh no. He just said that because he does not want you to be like God. And it says that she took a really deep gaze at that fruit. And, and, and while she was doing that, you never want to gaze at temptation. She was gazing at it. She was looking into the temptation. And man, did that sound good to be like God. And she took the fruit. And she gave it to her husband. And he took the fruit. And we've inherited that sin. But after they took that fruit, God, he was good on his promise. I mean, when God says something, it happens. And when they took that fruit, that rebellion, when you rebel against a holy God, the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of the universe, you rebel against him Justice will follow, and justice was exactly what God said it would be, death. From that point on, the world was condemned to death. And so when, 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 when Jesus comes into to, to the, to the world, that's where the world is. They're under condemnation. Now it does say when God, God so loved the world that he sent his son sent his only son to save it. He doesn't like it in its condemnation. But we've got to understand, that's how we are apart from Jesus in our life. We're under condemnation. Look at this verse, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 7. This describes the ministry of Jesus. It describes the ministry of Jesus here in Isaiah 42. Again, this is written about 750 years before Jesus even came. It says, when Messiah comes, when the Son of God comes in the flesh, this is what his ministry is going to be, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. It's not just talking about people who have robbed someone or have in behind bars. This is talking about everybody. <laughs> to bring out prisoners from the prison. This is the ministry of the Messiah those who sit in darkness from the prison house. So in John 3.18, Jesus saying he believes in him, he believes in Jesus, is no longer a prisoner, 
but he who does not believe in him is a prisoner already. They already were a prisoner. Now, if you've come in here today and you've never received Jesus, you may have gone to church, you may have played a lot of church. I played a lot of church until I was 22 years old. But you never received him just to come in into your life and say, look, I'm tired of being like God. I'm tired of being my own God. You come in. You are God. Come in. You're the living God. Come in. If you've never done that, you're a prisoner. That's what the Bible says. Most of us here lived a good part of our lives as prisoners. Look at this verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You he made alive who were dead. That's what you call clarity. You who he made alive were dead. So again, in verse 18 of John, he who believes in Jesus is no longer dead. But he who does not believe in him is dead already. If you have come here this morning and you have never made Jesus the master and king of your life and given him the place which is his due, which he deserves. He created you. He created the world. He created the universe. He can and should be your king. You have the choice to reject that and remain being your king. But if you've never done that, the Bible says you're dead. Jesus told that to Nicodemus. He said, you're dead. You need to be born again if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. Now look at this verse. This is a familiar verse. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man, that's referring to Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Who was lost when Jesus came into the world? Everybody was lost, in a sense. Everyone was. Some had a lot more light than others. But everyone, when it comes down to it, was lost. And, and, and so in John 3, 18, he who believes in Jesus is no longer lost, but he who does not believe in him is lost and confused, I will add, already. And if you've come in here this morning and you've never just let go of everything and just given it all over to Jesus, surrendered your life to Jesus, wave the white flag and say, I'm giving up trying to fight you, God. I'm yours now. If you've never done that, you're lost, the Bible says. And Jesus came for you. He came for you. So again... John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to save the world. At the time, the world, all the world, every man, every child, every woman in the world held captive in prison. They were dead. They were lost. But verse 16 says, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Man, that sounds like a good deal. Wow! 
That sounds like a good deal. Why would anyone ever not take God up on that deal? That's what verse 19 is about. Let's read it. Why wouldn't God, why wouldn't any man, any woman, take God up on this deal? A free gift doesn't cost anything. We merely have to believe. We merely have to receive. Verse 19 says, This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Verse 20, For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. That verse, those two verses, they say a lot about what happens when a man or woman, in Jesus' words, is saved. Those, verses, those two verses say a lot of what happens when a man is born again. When a man... Or a woman saved, what's going on is they're bringing all their darkness into the light. Remember who Jesus is. In him was life, and he was the light of men. Can we get 1 John 1 5? Can we get that? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. What's, ha- what's going on when someone is, comes up here at the end of a service and says, I, I, that's it, I want to be saved? <laughs> They're bringing all their darkness to the light. A man, a woman, is not saved by getting rid of all their darkness and then coming to the light. That, brothers and sisters, is about as impossible as impossible gets. You cannot get rid of your darkness before coming to Jesus. Let me just give you a a couple of examples, and I'm just going to go ahead and be vulnerable with you. I remember when I was in college, in the dorm room that I were in the dorm, I would, man, rarely did we ever go to bed before 2 o'clock. And my wife will tell you, okay, what's changed? Um, I'm doing really different things, but but back then, in in <laughs> but what were we doing into the wee hours of the morning? What what were we doing? Just just ridiculous stuff, and a lot of it was just pure nonsense. We, you know, one of the things that we did, and, and, and I say this to my shame, it's, it's very shameful talking about this. We just sit around and we just would have rag sessions. You know, going through the list of this person and that woman and this guy, and oh, him, and yakety, 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 yak. And, and, and let me tell you, when you do that, 
for four years, you got a lot of darkness in you. And that darkness does not go away overnight. And there's not a man or woman in the world who can get rid of that kind of darkness. It's just there. Because you start seeing people in a different light, a critical spirit. Exactly the opposite of what love does. The Bible says that love believes all things. It's not suspicious of all things. It believes all things. I can't clean that up before I come to the light. That's impossible. Same thing. Something sexual sin. Pornography. I very much was into that life. Pornography is a lifestyle. Don't call it anything else. It's a lifestyle. But when you're in that lifestyle for a while, you wake up with those images in your mind. You cannot just somehow clean up, clean them up, and then go to the light. That's impossible. Salvation, being born again, is a recognition. That there's one light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And all this darkness I got, I got to bring it into the light. That's what it is. And guess what? After a while, he starts cleaning you up. Well, he starts cleaning you up from the second that you do. But it takes a while. It takes a while for those images and that spirit, critical spirit, to go away. And this, verse 19, is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light. Now why? So why? Why? Why do people refuse to take God up on his deal? Why? They love their darkness. And don't we? You know, the the darkness is, is a really safe place to be. You know, where we keep all the light out. And by the way, when I'm talking about darkness, I'm not just talking about sins in private. I'm just talking about that lifestyle, public or private, where we just keep out the light. There's a neighbor of mine I've been sharing with him for 20 years. And when I come to him, he starts running away. As soon as I start coming up the street, the guy literally starts walking um, 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 away. Why? I'm bringing this to him. And this is the light. And I look at it, I'm not pointing the finger at my neighbor. This is where we come from. This is from, but, but for the grace of God, this is where we go. This is where we are. And some of you, you have given your life to Jesus as Lord, but then you've taken back the darkness and you don't want to show, you don't want to expose your darkness to the light. And that's why 1 John chapter 1, Dave, this next verse, this wonderful verse, oh man. This is like water to your soul, our souls. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You just, we got to be bringing that darkness to the light every day. Not every other day, because every day the darkness comes in, the images come in, the critical spirits come in. You take that darkness, you bring it to the light. But all this to say... The reason that mankind, verse 19 and 20, says 
that people don't take God up on this unbelievable deal. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life is because they love darkness and they hate the light. That's why we pray for them. That they'd see the darkness, that the, that, that the ugliness of the darkness would be exposed in, in their light. That's why we keep nudging them. That's why, uh, man, if I live 20 more years and my neighbor does, I'm going to continue chasing after this guy until God physically stops me, my neighbor. And, 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 and honestly, you should too. And uh, you, know, you don't want to be a nag. And, and, and when people actually say, no, I don't want it anymore, yet Jesus is a gentleman, I need to be a gentleman too, and I need to... I need to back off, but, but the point is, is that the Bible says the world loves darkness and therefore it doesn't want to come to the light. Now Nicodemus, and I'm going to conclude with this. Remember he's talking to Nicodemus here. What's the problem with Nicodemus? Nicodemus is like He's in not in the light, he's not in the darkness, he's like going in and out of it. He's like a seesaw. It says he comes to, he came to Jesus by night, came to Jesus in the dark. It's, no, it's, it's not a coincidence that Jesus is telling him, using these light and dark metaphors, Nicodemus, you're not in the light, you're, you're getting up real close to it. You're, but you're like coming in and out of it. And you need to step completely out of the darkness or you've got to present all your darkness and you've got to come to the light, which he did by the end of this book, the book of John. And we'll see him doing that. Last verse. It says, but he who does the truth comes to the light. Notice how it says, he who, um, he, who, he who does the truth does all kinds of really, really good things and he gets into God's good favor. No, none of that. We can't get into God's good favor by doing lots and lots of really good things. The only thing that we can do, really, because we're incapable of anything else. But by his grace, by his drawing, we need to just bring our lives into the light. But he who, verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. Now, that's a painful thing to come to God so that your deeds are clearly seen, so everything about you is clearly seen. That's a really painful thing, and it's a courageous thing, and I rejoice every time at the end of a service someone comes up here and says, okay, I want to be saved. I want to bring all my darkness to the light. But that's what it takes. It, it, it takes that for a, someone to be born again, but it also takes that if, if for us to have fruitful lives of Christians. So times of refreshing will come from the Lord. We just got to bring and, and our, our darkness to God so that our deeds, our lives are clearly seen. And the end of verse 21 says, that they have been done in God, meaning the whole thing is a work of God. When you go to God, when you come to the Lord, when you present your darkness to the light, that's a work that God did in you. Can't even take credit for it. You can praise God for it. So if the worship team could come up, we are going to close in prayer. 
We're going to have, if you've been asked to pray, if you could please come up. And I will say this, if you're a prisoner, or if you've listened to this message and you realize you're dead, you're a walking dead man, you're a walking dead woman. Or if you've listened to this message and you're thinking, I'm lost, I'm confused, I need God. Jesus says, believe, come to me and believe. Present your darkness, every single bit of this, bit of it to the light. If that describes any of you, come up and pray. I'll be up here. There's other people up here to pray. You know, again, we're, we're a family. A family needs to be vulnerable. I've been vulnerable this morning. You can be vulnerable. This is a safe place. And to say, I, I, I want it. I want it. I'm tired of being a prisoner. I'm tired of being a walking dead man. I'm tired of, of, of being confused and lost. I want to be saved. Or if, there's, if, or if you've done that in the past, and you've been holding on to some darkness, and you want to bring it to the light, come up, let's pray about it. You don't even have to mention it specifically if you don't want to, but come up and let's pray about it. Let's do business with God together. Let's do that. Okay, please rise. I'll pray, and then we'll worship and pray. Father, we just thank you for this word. We thank you for this great deal, Lord, that you have, that you presented to the world when you sent your son into the world to live for us, to die for us, and to raise again and be taken into heaven for us, Lord. We thank you for that. We rejoice in it, God. We thank you for the power that is there, the freedom that is there. Father, I just uh, I, I pray in the name of Jesus, thanking you for the liberty, Lord, once we have taken our darkness to you, the liberty of living in the life. Your word says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there's freedom. We thank you for that freedom. We thank you for that liberty, Lord. And Lord, I just want to pray that every Every man, every woman in this room, including myself, Lord, we wouldn't leave this room without doing business with you, without taking our darkness to, to the light, whether it's the first time or the 4,000th time, Lord. Please do that work in us, Lord, in all of us, before we leave here this morning, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name.